and I have hope in a world that would have men fly airplanes in the Twin Towers and the Pentagon. Well, we take hope in this, Romans 8, 28. In all things, God works for the good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If anyone could turn that into good somehow, it's God. So as we, whatever we're dealing with today, if the wounds are fresh, or if we have a fresh set of wounds from something else, we can recall, bring to mind that God is good. He's sovereign. He's compassionate. And he is a God who gives us great hope. Father, we thank you for being this kind of God to us. And I pray that on this day, as we remember the hurt that we all felt on September 11, 2001, and the hurts that we feel today, comfort us with these words that you are good, you are sovereign, you are compassionate, and in you we have great hope. Help us to worship you, Father, in spirit and truth, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship. Jesus the Nazarene. 
season of the year where uh, we focus on giving to Texas missions. This Sunday, today, uh, through next Sunday, marks the week of prayer for Texas missions. The Texas mission offering that we take is named in honor of a lady who was passionate about Texas missions. Her name was uh, Mary Hill Davis. And so uh, in, the, in the days to come, oh, by the way, our, our church giving goal is $6,000. And so pray about how the Lord would have you give. It's, it's worthy. I mean, we know the times in which we live. There's many, many things that we wish we could do to make the world a better place. But saving souls ought to be at the top of that list. And so every dollar that we give toward the Mary Hill Davis offering goes toward the work of the Lord in different places uh, to make the gospel known in the state of Texas. So as is our custom, usually, we will see videos that talk about the theme, maybe perhaps about 
who Mary Hill Davis is to help us to get to know her and her passion for the lost, uh, as well as seeing where the Lord is using the ministry, the money uh, that, that Texas Baptists send uh, to this missions offering and see how it's used around the state for his glory. So we're going to have a video that I think is going to talk to us about the theme. So... continued support of Texas Missions through the Mary Hill Davis offering. If I could speak to Mary Hill Davis today, I would share with her that her legacy continues to inspire us towards missional living and that her vision of each person seeing themselves in the Texas Missions story is being realized. I would ensure her that her years of praying, her sacrificial giving, and her efforts to go and reach those places untouched for the gospel were not in vain. In spite of a challenging past year, we have witnessed God continue to work through individuals and churches to meet the physical and spiritual needs in this state. Many of you experienced online worship service for the first time and even completed missions projects online. You are leading missions efforts through your church and in your community. You have supported communities in crisis and pastors in need of financial support. You have supplied hygiene kits to communities along the border. Your gifts allowed online technical training for churches needing to pivot to move their programs to online platforms. Thanks to your generosity and participation, training of all age groups for missions discipleship continues and will result in disciples who are making disciples across Texas, the nation, and the world. You have shown that when we speak of Texas missions, we are speaking of our service to others. When we share the stories of how God continues to use missionaries, church small groups, and individuals across Texas to do his will, we are emphasizing the impact you continue to have on our state for Jesus Christ. Without you, the light in the state would not be as bright. For, you see, you are Texas missions. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, reminds us to go, teach all, and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching all to observe those things God has commanded, and that the Lord will be with us. I am convinced, more than ever, that God has a plan to use us to reach the nations. I am encouraged by your willingness to serve and to support the missions and ministry efforts in this state. I am compelled to carry the legacy of Mary Hill Davis forward as she stated, following light out of the past that it may shed its beams upon the future. On behalf of the 80 plus ministry opportunities supported by you through the Mary Hill Davis offering for Texas Missions, we say thank you.
some distant God who we bow down to an idol, but as a God who loved us enough to walk among us. And not only walked among us, but gave us the Holy Spirit so we can walk together daily. No, no one and no thing on this earth satisfies us like you, Jesus. morning, we need you to touch our hearts. We need you to change us so that we look a little bit more like you. Do what pleases you in this place today. Just to rest. 
Please take your Bible, your copy of God's Word, turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we'll pick up in verse 12 and read through verse 23. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you should find a hardback black one somewhere around you in the pew. If you'll turn to the back of the Bible and find page 123, you'll be right where you need to be. title of this morning's sermon is Getting Saved, God Adopts Us. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 23, and this is God's Word. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Let's pray. Father, we pray uh, that you would open our hearts to reveal to us what's in your word. Help us to understand today the, the beautiful subject of adoption. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. There's an old game show. I think it's it's been resurrected. $100,000 pyramid. Y'all ever watched that? I watched it growing up. I think that it's, a, it's on prime time now. If you make it to the final round, there's a, a pyramid... And it's a word guessing game. And so there'll be a, usually it's, well, someone is, is trying to tell the other person, communicate to them uh, when they turn around that little thing. I don't, I'm not very highly technically uh, aware of what all that stuff is on a game show. But they'll, the turnaround turn around thing. Thanks, James. <laughs> and it will, it will show what, what the subject is, what it is you're supposed to try to convey to the other person without using any of the words that, and so I want you to imagine that, that I am the person trying to get you to, to guess the subject matter. And I begin using words like incarnation, sacrifice, substitute, atonement, regeneration, propitiation, redemption, reconciliation, justification, sanctification, glorification, consummation. But you know, all of those words point to one subject, and that is salvation. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, I may not have done a good job to get you to guess what's there, but the point is this. We can very simply say, I've been saved. And that's true. In the, and in the most simplistic way of understanding it, in Christ, when a person accepts Christ as Savior and Lord, when they are reborn, when they put their faith and trust in Him, when they are justified by faith, there's a number of things that become true about that person. Christ was their sacrifice. He was their substitute. He's the one who provided atonement. It is through Him that regeneration happened. He's the one that propitiated God's wrath. He's the one that reconciles us to God. He's the one who gives us the righteousness that makes us just. He is the one who sets us apart and sanctifies us. And he is the one who will ensure that we are glorified one day when all things are brought to consummation. So all that to say, when the writer of Hebrews talks about how great a salvation we have, lots of ways you could talk about how great a salvation we have. And the word that I want to look at today is the word adoption. The word in the Greek is the word theosia. 
Huiosethia. It's a compound word. comes from two words. The first word, huios, means son. And the last word of the compound word is thesis, which means placing. So huiothesia simply means placing of a son from his natural born family into a new family. Now you might be thinking, if you're a lady, you might be thinking, why is this, is this sexist? Is, you know, why does it talk about sons and not about daughters? Well, you have to understand that this reflects uh, the time of the writing uh, that Paul was in, uh, and it reflects a patriarchal culture or society. Furthermore, really it's, it's wonderful for a lady, to, a Christian lady, to want to be called a son of God. Because it would have been unheard of in those days for a daughter to receive all the rights and the privileges that a son would get. And so adoption really kind of, you remember Paul in in Colossians, he says there's neither uh, free nor slave, neither male nor free. So if you're a Christian, whether you're male or female, you are a son in Christ. So this morning as we consider adoption, uh, perhaps it's helpful for you ahead of time to know where we're going. We're going to aim to understand adoption in general and the next how God applies adoption to those whom he redeems and then how the redeemed experience adoption. So adoption understood, adoption applied, and adoption experienced. First we turn to adoption understood. We need to understand this word adoption from three perspectives. And the first perspective is this. It's by the church in Rome. This is the audience to whom Paul is writing the book of Romans, a group of Christians, a church. And they would have understood and heard this word adoption in a Roman context. There were particular Roman adoption practices that took place. There were typically two ceremonies to adopt a son into a family. The first one was a private ceremony. And that private ceremony uh, was really the time in which the son felt welcomed into the household. But then also there is a public declaration. And that happened later. We get a sense that Paul understands this when he says... um, Sorry. uh, Verse 16... The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 15, we have received the spirit of adoption. So it's as if the adoption's already done. But then there was a public declaration that came later, and that was in, in in the Roman world in the way that they would adopt. There was a public declaration. And that public declaration, again, they're separated. Private first and then public later. And in this particular legal uh, ceremony, all uh, of the previous relationships that the son enjoyed are completely severed. The new father now has complete authority over the new son, and the new son then enters into the privileges and responsibilities of a natural-born son. So because, and this is from John MacArthur, because of its obvious great importance, the process of Roman adoption uh, it involves several carefully prescribed legal procedures. The first totally severed the boy's legal and social relationship to his natural family. And the second step placed him permanently into his new family. In addition to that, 
All his previous debts and other obligations were eradicated as if they had never existed. And for the transaction to become legally binding, it required the presence of seven witnesses who could testify, if necessary, to any challenge to the adoption after the father's death. That was the legal part. So there's the public and then there's the legal. They both don't take place at the same time. Paul says that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons. But then he also talks about in verse 23 that we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. As Christians, we have been through the private ceremony. But there will be a day when our public declaration happens. That the consummation, when the sons of God are revealed. The second way we need to understand adoption is in the biblical storyline. This is not something that, uh, adoption is not something that's unusual to Jews. Even though Paul is writing to a Roman context, Jews would have understood adoption as well. Uh, Adam in the Bible is called the son of God. In Luke's uh, genealogy in Luke chapter 3, he goes through the genealogy and traces it back to Adam. And in verse 38, he says, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of of God. So we understand that Adam was a son. But then we also understand from the scriptures about the adoption and sonship of Israel. You might flip over one page in your Bible to Romans chapter 9 verse 4. And there it says, they are the Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. God adopted to himself the nation of Israel, and he called them his son. In Exodus 4.22, Moses is instructed to tell Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Later, before the people cross over into the promised land, uh, Moses again speaks on behalf of God, warning the people, about what may happen when they fall into idolatry. He says about the Lord, or on behalf of the Lord, when they fall into idolatry, when they leave the one that gave them birth, the Lord says, Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is he not your father who created you, who made you and established you? You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Jeremiah 31, 9, God says about his people, I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. But we can also see the adoption and the sonship of the church in Scripture. Galatians 4, 5, Paul talks about how Christ was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He's talking there about Christians. He's talking about the church. So we understand adoption in the biblical storyline. We also understand it theologically. We understand it in the context of the Roman church. We understand it in context of the biblical storyline. And then we understand it theologically. What is it that sonship actually means in terms of the theology of the Bible? First, it means that we, as, as God's sons, as Christians, we enjoy a status and a shared 
nature. That's what sonship entailed. One of the things that sonship entailed. We know that Christ, Jesus himself, is called the Son of God. That was a status that is uh, part of who Christ is. And he shares the nature of God. He is God the Son. But Adam, as I just mentioned before, was the first human that was called the Son of God in Luke 3.38. Part of the shared nature aspect of sonship involved image bearing. Recall in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. It says in verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Then we arrive at chapter 3, in the fall of Adam and Eve, and that status of son of God was lost by Adam. Instead of being a son of God, he became a son of the devil, a son of disobedience. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, the shared nature that Adam had now was marred with radical moral corruption. But it didn't end with Adam. It says in Genesis 5, verses, verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. So the fallen Adam fathered other sons of Adam in his fallen likeness, according to his sinful image, perpetuating radical moral corruption on the earth. So the sonship humanity enjoyed was lost in the fall. How is it regained? Sonship is only regained or achieved or realized through a covenant relationship with God. God called Israel his firstborn son. He made a number of covenants with them. But if we were to understand this biblically in, the, in light of the whole Bible, I should say, we understand that sonship only comes through a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he, talking about Jesus, gave, the right, gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. A person only understands or, or experiences sonship through a covenant relationship with God, not through this myth that all of humanity, we are all the sons and daughters of God, and God is universally our Father. That is a myth. God is our Creator, and in a sense, if you go back to, to Acts 17 or 15, I believe, when Paul's at uh, Mars Hill, he's talking to these people, and he gives the sense to them that, yes, God is the one who's our Creator, and in a sense, He's our Father, but He's really only has sons and daughters through, through those that are in covenant with Him. And as I said just a moment ago, Israel had a covenant relationship with God. And they had a status as sons. But that's not the full adoption that they needed. Paul says in Romans 9 verses 1 through 3, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cut off and accursed from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In other words, Paul is saying, yes, they have the adoption 
but they lack the adoption that they need in order to be sons and daughters of the living God through Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 10, My heart's desire and prayer for them is that they may be saved. So adoption, theologically understood, entails sonship, but also special favor. And special favor simply means all of the rights and privileges that pertain to being a son. Inheritance, access to the Father, a name. All of those things belong to sons. Next, I want to talk briefly about adoption applied. How does God apply adoption to us? I said just a moment ago, when we are justified, we are regenerated, we're also adopted. So how does God apply adoption to us? Well, he applies it, we can think of it in in three time frames. He he applies it in the past. That, That may be odd for us to think about that God applies our adoption in the past. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It was God's choice, God's will to adopt sons, to predestine them for adoption. We understand adoption applied in the present through our conversion. Theologians seem to think, and I am inclined to agree with them, that when we are regenerated, when we are born again, and when the righteousness of Christ is placed upon us and God looks at us and declares us righteous, it's at that moment he adopts us into his family. And just like justification is a legal declaration, the judge looks at the person who is on trial, the charges have been leveled against that person, And he declares that person not guilty. That person is righteous. The same thing happens in adoption. It is a legal declaration. We also can understand adoption in the present, in our conversion, that we understand that we are redeemed from bondage. In Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. Says when Israel, God, this is God speaking about his people. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. God called his people out of Egypt for the purpose of adoption. He wanted them a part of his family. Adoption applied results in in reconciliation in the present. There's, There's no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And then adoption also applies to us here and now. Paul says in verse 12 of Romans 8, So then, brothers, if we're debtors, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We live out of our adoption in the day-to-day because God has given us His Spirit to help us not live as debtors to the flesh, but as debtors to the Spirit. And our adoption will also be applied in the future. Paul says in verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. One day we will experience 
glorification. Death will no longer be a part of our existence. Sin will no longer mar our existence. We will have no more pain, no more struggle. We will be in glorified bodies. And in that moment, we will receive the inheritance that Paul talks about in verse 17, that he says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We can understand adoption past Present, present and future applied to us. Now I want to spend just a few moments talking about how we experience adoption. I would imagine that if a young child or whatever age, and, and they have been perhaps placed in foster care, they're no longer with their parents, and a family comes along and says, I want to adopt you. We want you to be a part of our family. Now, here's how. Here's all that it will entail. We will have to go to court. You'll have to say that you want to live with us, and we'll have to say that we want you to live with us, and we'll have to prove that we can take care of you. And a kid may understand that completely, but he won't experience it until he walks through the door at his new home. It's one thing for us to, to understand our adoption. It's another thing to experience it. And as I said just a few moments ago about the theological implications of adoption, we think of two things. We think, first of all, of sonship. When we are made new, we are declared to be, by God, His sons. We are given a new Status. We are no longer second-class citizens. In fact, we are very similar to Christ. We are not Christ. Don't, don't get me wrong there. We are sons of God. We are not the Son of God. Paul says in Romans 9, 26, and he's quoting Hosea, in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. God gives a status of sonship to those he adopts. And those who are his sons enjoy the same love from God that exists between the Father and the Son. In John 17, 23, Jesus says that they may, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as I, as even as you loved me. The same love that the Son enjoys, we enjoy. And what God says about his son, this is my beloved, he says of the believer. And to prove it, verse 15 says, he gives us the spirit of adoption. Not the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption that testifies to us that we truly are sons of God. We're given a status, a new status and a new shared nature. As Christians, when we are adopted and the spirit of adoption comes into our lives, into our hearts, at that time we are, we are beginning to be changed into the likeness of Christ. The spirit of Christ is in us. I want you to listen to this. I made a similar point about this last week with justification. Because I said, and, and you can understand this, why would God declare someone righteous who is not righteous? Well, the way he does that is he imputes Christ's righteousness to that person so that when he looks at that person, he can truthfully and righteously declare them righteous because they are. Same works here. When God adopts believers as his children, he places the spirit of the Son 
the spirit of adoption from verse 15 into their hearts so that they become, in effect, his natural born children. That's us. And as such, we're not just merely adopted in the sense that the word now conveys, but we are genuinely begotten by God. God makes sons of God out of sons of men. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory. Talking about our being conformed to Christ. One degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we are given sonship but we are also given special favor. We're given life. You know when I think about the special privileges that we gain through our sonship with God, through our adoption, it makes me think of the prodigal son. Remember the son said, Dad, I wish, basically he said, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. I'm going to go live it up. And he goes and lives it up and realizes that he's really committed a big wrong. And he should turn around and go home. And when he is a long way off, father runs out and meets him. Of course, there's a big stink. But the father says, and this is Luke 15, 22 to 24. But the father said to his servants, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. For all intents and purposes, that young man was not his son. But the father said, I will receive you back and give you special privileges. A robe, a ring, uh, shoes on your feet, and a party. Some of the special favor we receive is, is acceptance. And that young man in the story, the prodigal, he did not think he would be accepted by his father when he went home. He said, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's not what the father does. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. At that point, the son knew he did not have to fear that his father had received him home. We receive communion with the father. Verse 16 tells us, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We truly have communion with God. We also can receive the comfort of a father. Psalm 103, 13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear them. We get the Lord's provision. 2 Peter 1, 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We get the discipline of a father. You might think, why do we need the discipline of a father? Verse 12 and 13, 14 points out that we're not debtors to live to the flesh, live according to the flesh, but that we're to live according to the Spirit. Now, we don't always get that right, do we? Sometimes we need a father who 
disciplines, as Hebrews 12 says, the ones he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? God shows special favor by ensuring our preservation. Look in verse 17. It says, If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. When you are in a right relationship with God, that puts you in a wrong relationship with the world. And that guarantees suffering for you. Guarantees that we live in a world that verse 20 would call futility. It's a world that would produce in us what verse 23 says, groaning. But we have a father who can preserve us and remind us of the future that awaits us. That the groaning that's taking place will be realized in the day when we have the redemption of our bodies and we have the eternal inheritance that is promised in verse 17. God adopts people that aren't worthy of adoption. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. I love how John put that. That we should be called children of God. He doesn't stop there. He says, and so we are. And I wonder if we forget that sometimes. There's been a couple of times in my world travels that I've been able to fly first class. We flew first class on the way back from our honeymoon. Because it was our honeymoon. They just were nice to us. And they know your name, and they come, and they take your order for what you want to eat. And, and I flew first class on my first return trip from Haiti. It's nice. You're Mr. Bond, and that boy, they just fall over you. Hands and feet, I mean, they're just loving on you. You know, as adopted children, sometimes I wonder if we feel like, yeah, I'm on the airplane, but I'm not in first class. Now, I'm sitting back in the back by the bathrooms in the middle with the unwashed masses. But I want you to know today that because of God's adoption of you, any legal and social relationship you had as a son of Adam has now been severed. God has permanently placed you into a new family. All of your debts and all of your other obligations have been eradicated as if they never existed. What God has done is legally binding. It has been witnessed to by the Holy Spirit that bears witness in our hearts that we are sons and daughters of God. And now this new father exercises authority over us as new sons and we enter into the privileges and the responsibilities of a natural son. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Let's pray. Father, what a great privilege to be adopted into your family, to call you Father, to be your son, to have our nature changed, to receive the status of, the privileges, the responsibilities. Father, what, what an enormous privilege. 
When we were unworthy of your adoption, you brought us to yourself. Glory, hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for being the sacrifice that allowed the Father to adopt us, and we praise you for that. Father, if there are any here that, that they are struggling with their adoption, they, they don't feel like they belong in first class. They feel like they belong in the back. Lord, if you could only see my life and what's been going on, I know you'd be ashamed with me. If you walked through the plane, you wouldn't know my name. You'd lean over and say, what, what's your name again? But Lord, you gave us a new name. We're all in first class. You love us all equally. And one day, you will demonstrate it in ways that we just, our, our lowly human minds just have not been able to understand. And that day will all be clear. Until that day, Lord, help us to walk by faith that what you say about us as your sons is absolutely true. For the sake of Christ, we ask these things. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing all the way my Savior leads me. If you need to make a decision during this time, now is the time to do that as we sing together all the way my Savior leads me.
want to let you know uh, both Vivian and Kyson came forward today, really for the same reason. Um, Vivian's coming to be baptized. Now, Vivian is a Christian, and uh, we will baptize her into our membership, and she will uh, come um, on that baptism, which I told her it might be a bit. We, <laughs> we have some other people who want to be baptized, and we're looking to get them baptized soon. Kyson came forward today and wants to talk about baptism as well, and uh, just thankful for what God's doing in our church. Um, so I will let you know. Uh, you may find out about baptism on the day that we have a baptism, that we have some folks coming. Um, but anyway, it's, it's a great day uh, to, uh, to have people come forward. Uh, just a few announcements, I'm sorry, a few prayer requests to share with you. John, do you have any update on that you want to share on Kenneth? Praise the Lord. And Mary Catherine's with him? Yes. Okay. All right, we also need to pray for Sam Center has you know, two kids, got Brian and Leslie. Leslie's husband, uh, Tommy, had a heart attack. Um, and Sam is, is he was in, uh, he was with Brian, but I think he's now down, down um, uh, with, with Leslie and, and Tommy and their family. But uh, last I heard from Sam is that they were getting him down to College Station, and he was going straight to the cath lab, so we do need to pray uh, for the Mark family. That's Tommy Mark and then uh, Leslie and their daughter Samantha and Kirby. Thanks. Maybe somebody would help me. Um, are there any, do you want to give an update on your dad, on your stepdad? is back on her treatments. Okay. Um, any other prayer requests or updates you want to share this time before we pray together? All right, let's stand. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll say the Great Commission and be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, we are um, concerned about some people in our, in our church, family members of our, of our church members. We do lift up Kenneth to you, God, and we pray. 
uh, that you would heal him, his heart uh, physically and spiritually. We thank you for uh, John and Mary Catherine, Eddie, and the, the care that they give to Porky and the witness they are to him. And just pray, God, that you would you would bring him life. We also pray for less, and God ask that um, that you would heal his body as well. Uh, give him energy, strength, uh, Lord, um, renew his heart as well. And Father, we also pray. For Tommy Mark, and pray that as he's heading into the cath lab, perhaps he's already there, that he will receive the best care possible, and the procedure will be flawless, and he could be uh, home soon. I pray that you'd comfort the family, as they're, I'm sure, very nervous and anxious. Just give them the peace that passes all understanding. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's say the Great Commission together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We'll see you tonight.